0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 11th, we're running through Snap's second quarterly report as a public company. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on?
1: Well, I mean, you know how much I love bashing Snap, so this should be a fun show.
0: Yeah, I will say, I (laughs) I love earnings season. But this is the show that I have been looking forward to most this quarter. Um, you know, Snap is a company that a lot of people have been watching for a long time. It is probably the biggest IPO um, of the year, and uh, it's always great to get some fresh numbers and, and kind of get an update on what's going on with the business, particularly uh, when it moves quite as much as it does. Uh, you know, when, it, when it's when snap. So, so looking at the results. Um, Really, all you need to do is take a glimpse at the stock chart, and that says everything about the market's opinion of what uh, what Snap dropped this quarter, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, people were not not very pleased. Um, obviously, the user growth is always for any social media company kind of a big headline number, uh, and they fell short. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, so revenue for Q2 was 182 million, which is up 153 percent year over year. Uh, given how early Snap is in its monetization process. Uh, the lumpiness there and the massive growth figures are are kind of hard to even really take seriously. Um, but uh, the, the user numbers, like you said, are kind of a struggle. Um, the company now has 173 million daily actives, which is an increase of 21% year-over-year, uh, just a 4% sequential boost. And I know the market was looking for more. Uh, with what happened with the top line and what happened on the user side, um, both being disappointing. The, the stock traded down, I think it's down about 10% or so uh, since reporting. Um, looking at what's going on in the top line, you know we see these gaudy growth rates, but something that uh, I was kind of reminded of in doing research for this show is, to date, in 2017, the company has brought in just over $330 million in revenue. And before the IPO, there was discussion that the platform would bring in just under $1 billion in revenue in 2017. And you look at those numbers and that run rate, and you know usually the digital ad market is uh, kind of like heavily weighted towards Q4, but they are setting themselves up to have to have a really great Q4 to hit that 2017 figure that they were touting when they were doing their roadshow.
1: Yeah, and I think that's going to be pretty tough because I mean they're so new at this ad business and they don't really give quarterly guidance either, which I think a lot of investors are kind of disappointed because with a company like this that's so young, I mean some visibility goes a long way and. Certainly, the company has a forecast internally, so it's like, why don't you share that and at least give beyond investors, you give street analysts some idea of how to, you know, out- calibrate their models. Because if you don't give them anything, then you know, and the and these and the analysts have to like come up with their numbers with no input from the company and no guidance. Then what you end up having is a really wide fluctuation in estimates, and those estimates set investors' expectations subsequently. So, I mean, it's kind of disconcerting that they don't provide any type of guidance whatsoever.
0: Yeah, they're kind of creating the situation for the wild price swings that happen after their quarterly reports, just because they're really not giving the market a whole lot to work with. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Looking at their financials, uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about their bottom line as well. Uh, The company is still not profitable, and I'm guessing that won't change anytime soon.
1: Yeah, so they lost uh, about $443 million in the quarter. And One thing I did think was kind of funny is in the press release when they do the year-over-year comparison, they said that was not meaningful. Whereas, you know, typically when a company says not meaningful, it's usually because you're coming off like a really small base. So a super large percentage change looks misleading. Or if you're swinging from like a negative to a positive and then you have a negative growth rate, which doesn't make sense either. But in this case, they went from $116 million loss a year ago, which is a pretty, not an insignificant amount of money to lose. Right. That's a pretty decent number. And then that nearly, you know, that basically triples to. $443 million. so it's kind of silly that they're like, oh, that's not meaningful.
0: Yeah, I would <laughs> like, love to be able uh, yeah. to treat $440 million as a drop in the bucket. It must be nice <laughs> over at Snap HQ. Um, we, we talked a little bit about user stuff before. Um, coming back to that, so like I said, the overall user number was disappointing. I think the street was looking for something in the mid 170 million range, and they yeah, I think up
1: 175 up. is what I was seeing as. Most, I think 175 is what people were expecting.
0: Yeah, and it wound up coming in at 173. Uh, the North America market grew 4 million to hit 70 mil, 75 million daily actives. Um, so disappointment there. But the uh, the narrative that we've been getting from Snap's management for a long time has been, don't look so much at DAUs. Um, You know, we are an engagement-driven platform. We we have a lot of really dedicated users that love using our product, and I think one of my frustrations uh, in trying to break down this company is that we get some color on engagement with those users, but it isn't terribly consistent, and we have to do a lot of work on our end, kind of some back of the envelope. Numbers here to to get a sense of what's going on with some of the engagement metrics. So in Q two, management said that they saw forty minutes spent per day for users under twenty five and over twenty minutes per day for users over twenty five. Um, so so that gives you a sense of what people are doing on the platform. The previous quarter, they'd said that users spend over thirty minutes per day on Snapchat, and so <laughs> so it's like. I think those numbers are generally trending together, um, and, and I'd hope that that means that, that 30 minutes per day is either holding or slightly increasing, because the platform does slant young and, and you know predominantly under 25. But that's an apples to oranges comparison, and it's really hard to know for sure that engagement's trending the right way.
1: Right. I mean, I, I will give them a little bit of credit in the sense that, you know, they are improving monetization, which you can see in their average revenue per user or ARPU yeah, and, and improved sequentially from 90 cents globally to a dollar and five cents, uh, which is the same as they did in Q4 of last year. So it's not like some huge, crazy record increase, but it is, a you know, they are making some progress and certainly that's related to engagement. But I agree that the you know the inconsistency in the metrics is a little weird. But you know, to, to give a little bit a little bit of credit, yeah, you know, they they are improving on the monetization, for, particularly in these uh, low monetization geographies like Europe and the rest of the world. Those actually did put a pretty meaningful increases sequentially um, to hit kind of new high, new levels of monetization: thirty nine cents in Europe and twenty nine cents in the rest of the world. Still, you know, a fraction of of North American monetization, which is at a buck ninety seven. But you know they they are making some progress. I, I don't want to be totally mean on them.
0: <laughs> well, and that's really how Snap's management and CEO Evan Spiegel are looking at the business. You know, he's repeatedly said that the focus shouldn't be on DAUs, and he really touts the ARPU number as the thing that analysts should be focusing on. And I think to kind of explain his logic a little bit, here's a quote from the most re- recent conference call. He said. We'd have to add more than 10 million daily active users in the rest of the world for every one million daily active users in the US and Canada in order to make the same amount of money. So obviously, with 10x the number of users, we also incur 10x the hosting cost to make the same amount of money. So that would impact our cash flow profile for our business. And so with that focus on ARPU, you know what he's also really kind of saying is, you know, the, the focus is should be on the North American market, because that's where ARPU is the strongest. Uh, so for the most recent quarter, Snap's North American ARPU was $1.97, dollar uh, it was thirty nine cents in Europe and twenty nine cents in the rest of the world. Um, so that that gap kind of helps explain uh, why he feels that way. Um, i don't I'm not sold on the idea of only focusing on the valuable markets, and I, I'm not also really sold on um, that being a meaningful indication of how the business is doing, because there there are a lot of opportunities for growth in North America, and yet we're only seeing you know single digit sequential growth rates.
1: Right, I mean, I I honestly think it's kind of a cop out. I mean, like they're both very important. Uh, I mean, and him saying, you know, I mean, they're arguably the two most important metrics, right? And he's basically trying to say, oh, only one of them is important. That doesn't really make any sense because obviously, daily active users are, are hugely important to a social media company. Him trying to distract away from it, I think it's a conscious attempt to basically, you know, they've seen what happened at Twitter, and Twitter gets all, you know, a lot of criticism about slow user growth disclosures and all this other stuff and I think what they're trying to do is trying to avoid that narrative but ultimately you're not tricking anyone because if you don't put up the good you know good user numbers in your social media company that's driven by ads <laughs> investors are not going to be happy
0: <laughs> yeah and and again to give them some credit here um, snaps platform has some limitations that make it tougher for them to grow in developing parts of the world you know uh, it's it's a very data heavy um, app and, and it just requires a lot of time with with photos and with video and so that is not as conducive to low connected areas. Um, but if the focus is North America, you know, we talked about how they have 75 million daily actives in North America and you know a single digit sequential growth rate in that market. There are over 250 million smartphone users in North America. There is a massive runway for Snap to continue to add those super valuable users that Evans Evan Spiegel's focusing on. So I am not sold that that is the only thing we should be looking at because when you see that they could go basically 3x and not even totally fill the North American market and be totally saturated, uh, I can't help but focus on what's going on with DAUs.
1: No, exactly. And, and I mean, I think I think the, the the big problem there is that, you know, their their user growth in North America, which as you mentioned is by far the most important market in even they're trying to focus everyone on this North American market, their their user growth on a sequential basis is not really doing much. It's it's just kind of flattish. Like I mean, they're only they're adding about three to four million users or three to four million users per quarter, and that rate at of, of ads is not really in accelerating or decelerating. But the point that I I'd like to make is that. I think one of the Snapchat's biggest problems has always been the fact that it's just not really an intuitive platform and it's very limited to this kind of niche younger audience and to to get to those you know really meaningful penetration numbers of the US market like you mentioned out of you know 250 260 million smartphones you have to appeal to the mainstream and and Snap does not do that and I don't see them ever doing that so you know I think their ceiling is going to be much lower in terms of until they can come out with some you know, breakthrough feature or revamp the interface or something to make the the platform appeal to a wider audience, which I don't think they've done yet.
0: And I think two other reasons that people have to fixate on what's going on with DAUs is when you have Facebook launching snap-like features on its platform, on Instagram and on Facebook in particular. Um, you know, platforms that have massive installed bases. Uh, there's a chance that people will use them on those platforms. And they might be in markets that Snap doesn't really operate in or doesn't really focus on now. And by the time Snap does decide to to really prioritize them, the users there are going to be like, "Yeah, so what? Like, I can already do this on Instagram. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't need this." And so um, that might hinder long term growth for them. I think looking at things kind of from the street and and you know from our side as analysts too we kind of have to obsess over what's going on with the user numbers because they are so early in monetization that revenue is just going to be all over the place. You know, it's great that average revenue per user was up 100% year over year, but they were bol- barely rolling out ads that this time last year. You know, like it's it's kind of it's it's a great growth number, but it's off of such a tiny base that um it's kind of really devoid of any long term business impact. Uh, it's, it's not meaningful, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not, this is this is truly not meaningful. Um, you know, I mean,
1: so that's, that's also because Snap went public rel- so early. It, you know, I mean, most companies in this space wait until they're a little bit more established, have firmer footing in their core business before they go public, whereas Snap basically had no clue. And, they, and arguably, they still barely know what they're doing in, in terms of the ad business. And the fact that they went public so early in their life, like that, you're kind of asking for this. (laughs)
0: Um, Evan, I know two things that really surprised you this quarter were increases in headcount and the big commitment the company is making to R&D spend. Why don't we spend a little time talking about that?
1: Yeah, Looking at the the income statement, the, the line item that jumped out to me the most was, R and D expense, which jumped from a year ago, it was 36 million, and now it jumped to 255 million. That's a quarter of a billion dollars that they're spending on R and D. Now, now the most, the majority of that is stock-based compensation, about 160 some million of it. But that's a massive increase. I mean, all of these operating expenses jumped by a lot. I, you know, I think for for several factors, now, one being the stock is now public, so whatever RSUs are investing during the quarter are now vesting at much higher prices. So the the stock based compensation expense kind of naturally just just jumps up based on what the market's doing compared to what they're at I mean, when they were private right a year ago. Uh, so that's partially explains it. And then you also have the headcount increases that you mentioned. So R and D headcount increased by one hundred and ninety percent, sales increased by one hundred uh, and sixty percent, G and A general administrative increased by one hundred and ten percent. So I mean they're hiring like at a cl- at a crazy rate. So that's obviously going to drive up costs too. But then you have to say, you know, what are they actually getting out of these expenditures? Because, I mean, they, they made a couple of positions during the quarter, but those are mostly paid for in cash. So, stock-based comp doesn't play into there. But, you know, I don't think that they have a lot to show for it. I mean, R&D, you know, your are already d headcount is tripling, and what features have you unveiled other than a dancing hot dog?
0: Like The dancing hot dog! <laughs> it's, it, I, can't believe, I can't believe I listened to a conference call where the dancing hot dog came up multiple times. I, I never expected that to happen in my time uh, covering tech stocks.
1: It's a $250 million hot
0: dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will put it to our man behind the glass, Austin Morgan, who occasionally uses Snapchat like myself. Um, Austin, have you done anything with the dancing hot dog? And Is, <laughs> is, is the dancing hot dog enough for you to interact with Snap? I have not done anything with the dancing hot dog, but as someone who does video for them to so easily put it in a place and track the hot dog to stay in the place with the video moving is pretty impressive because would, would
1: you pay $250 million? For no,
0: I would not, <laughs> <laughs> but I do it with drone footage. I can use the high end programs like the Adobe suite and motion track text into my footage. But that takes a long time and it's really hard to do. So what you're saying is on the technical side, what Snap is doing with the dancing hot dog is very impressive. It is, I think. I think that I think that is lost on a lot of Snap's users. Absolutely. Most people are like, oh look, this hot dog and put it on this table, but when I turn around, it stays on the table. It's pretty hard to do. I wouldn't pay two hundred and fifty million dollars for it, but
1: Well, I think, you know, in the in the bigger scheme of augmented reality, which is ultimately what that hot dog is all about, right? It you know, Snap has kind of made their name in for these live video filters that are basically just augmented reality. And all of a sudden, in the past year, you have Facebook and Apple (laughs) jumping in and being like, hey, we're going to really take over this space. So, you know, as impressive from a technical perspective, you know, what Snap is doing for a small company, I think they're going to get overwhelmed and crushed by much larger companies. You know, Facebook and Apple jumping directly into augmented reality in a big way. I mean, how do you compete with that when you're Snap?
0: It's tough because it seems like in a lot of spaces that they are going to be trying to make money, namely AR and digital ad spend, they are going to be going up against Titans, right? I mean, you have Facebook and Google in the digital ad side. You have Apple and everybody else in AR. Um, one one place that they have seemed to be able to kind of carve out their own little niche, is with their spectacles business the um, the camera the camera sunglasses the camera glasses I guess is the best way to describe them yep. that, that helps capture snaps <laughs> for their platform. Um, we got a little update on what's going on with them.
1: Yeah, so they said they get uh, they had about five point four billion dollars in spectacles revenue, which was about you know three percent of total revenue, and if you divide it out by the retail price, it implies roughly forty two thousand units. Which again, it's you know that's not like. That's pretty. That's like a rounding error when you're talking on the scale of these DAUs that we've been talking about, right? Forty-two thousand units, and you have a hundred and seventy million people using your platform. Like, that's who, who cares? And they're putting all this effort into, you know, becoming a quote-unquote camera company, and their only camera hardware product is a rounding error on their financials. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's just more evidence in my mind that spectacles is kind of a waste of time and energy. Uh, and you know, as we've talked about on previous shows they don't actually make money on these things.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems to me like it's largely been a marketing and branding tool, you know, something that has kind of built awareness about Snap. It was it was very artfully done the launches, I will say, you know, dropping those basically vending machines in these kind of like remote locations and on city blocks and just having people line up and creating a ton of buzz. The problem is you can't sustain that forever. You have to start selling them as a real product and um you know, you, you and, no one,
1: and no one wants them. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and, and it's a niche product that not a lot of people use. Um, so, so it's kind of tough to know uh, what the staying power of that is. There are rumors that they are doing other things on the camera side, possibly with some drones or things like that. Maybe right. that's where some of that R and D spend is going. Um, like we mentioned before, the company really doesn't offer up much in the way of guidance. They have kind of outlined some of their main priorities, though. So these are some things that investors can watch in the coming quarters to kind of see how the business is tracking. So the big three for them uh, driving both revenue and ARPU growth while expanding gross margins. Uh, Number two, moderating capital intensity of its business to ensure strong EBITDA to free cash flow conversion. And then number three, investing in front of house resources and MA to build up rapid scale in innovation and monetization. Um, anything really jump out you at you from this report with respect to any of those? Ed?
1: Yeah, I think you know on their this is a topic they brought up last time, last call as well. but with their capital intensity bit, I think it's really misleading the way that they frame their capital intensity strategy because yeah you know, they 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 basically constantly brag about how low their capital expenditures are. Uh, and last quarter was like, Twenty million or something and that's primarily just expanding facilities and stuff like that Um, it's not actually building infrastructure right because they completely outsource all of their cloud infrastructure so on one hand they're bragging about low capital expenditures the flip side is that their hosting costs are enormous and and consume the vast majority of the cost revenue to the point where you know we've talked about this many times before like they basically just can't they have a really hard time scaling and they're making progress because they're getting better pricing on some of the hosting fees, but I mean, hosting fees are consistently in the seventy to eighty percent of total cost of revenue, and that just is not seem scalable to me. I mean, that's all; those are all variable costs because the more people use the platform, the more that Snap has to pay for the usage fees, while they're simultaneously trying to sell enough ads to cover those costs and then try to come up with a positive gross margin, which they are very inconsistent on i mean they've done it occasionally have a positive gross margin they did it this quarter but a lot of the times these hosting costs are more than their revenue so it, i think i just think it's it's makes no sense for them to be like hey our capex is really low but then they just ignore the fact that the that the other side of that is that their cost their hosting costs are just completely out of, out of control
0: yeah the way that they've set up that business doesn't really allow them to enjoy the leverage uh, of adding users that a lot of businesses at their scale do right
1: yeah it's like for i mean one of the reasons in general one of the reasons why investors love tech in a lot of ways is because online services are supposed to be able to scale incredibly well to the point where when you really start to get that operating leverage your profit really just explodes but snap will never do that because they have no operating leverage
0: yeah, that's true. Uh, one, one thing that I am curious to see, I don't think we're gonna see it any time in the next couple quarters, uh, but it might be something a year or two from now we start to get some color on, is um, ad rates, uh, you know, particularly as they move more and more to a marketplace driven uh, ad fulfillment solution. Um, you, you know, that's something that we get from most of the major digital media players and uh, you know certainly Twitter and Facebook and so it'll be kind of interesting to see what's going on there you know they've talked about how the the market dynamics have driven down ad prices and made them more affordable for folks um, you know one of the problems that we've seen with Twitter is that the ad prices have continued to fall uh, just precipitously over time and and it's been tough for them to make up revenue on volume um, you know down the road it'd be great to get some color on that from snap
1: right I'll i also want to mention one other point it's kind of separately unrelated to the ad rates is you know i think that they're they're also trying to get in front of this this fears about the lockup expirations that are coming i mean we just had a lockup expiration last month and there's two you know two more in this month and spiegel's like oh him and bobby murphy will not be selling any shares this year to try to reassure investors <laughs> but like they they only have like co- collectively combined they own about 20 percent of shares outstanding they got the super voting shares so they That voting power is closer to ninety percent, right? But you know, pretty soon all of these shares are going to be free to sell, and they can't speak for all the early investors, venture capitalists, employees that might want to sell. So, plus he's saying the rest of the year—that's like four months. So, him—he's basically committing to not sell for four months when he just cashed out. Both of them cashed out hundreds of million dollars, so certainly they don't need more money.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I hope at this point they wouldn't want to (laughs) sell.
1: I mean, we know he went on that that bro trip to take a little yacht in the in Italy while investors are kind of like upset about the stock price carrying. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that these lockups are still going to be a meaningful event for investors because I think that they will add a lot of selling pressure, despite his effort to kind of downplay those fears.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right and. Um you know, I think if people are looking for more stuff in general with what's going on with Snap, um, certainly follow Evan. Uh, he, he, I know you've already written a couple of pieces with what's going on with earnings. Um, I'm guessing that you'll have a couple more coming out uh, this <laughs> weekend and the next week or so. Um, but you are kind of one of fool.com's best when it comes to Snap earnings and Snap coverage. Um, anything, with a negative bias. With a negative bias, <laughs> that's fair. Admit, admittedly. Admittedly. Because uh, I am short. I am short. Let's just you know be clear. <laughs> it's always good to get it out there. Um, anything else before I let you go today, Evan?
1: No, I think we, we covered it pretty well.
0: Alright. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or check out The Fool's family of shows at fool.com. podcasts As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis, and Austin Morgan. He's on the show today. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!